0: Hello and uh, and welcome to the uh, next uh, instalment of the Farmside Podcasts. I- I'm delighted to be joined uh, today by uh, Hasi Pahmad, who is the Managing Director UK, Ireland, and Nordics uh, for Pharmaceuticals and Country President uh, UK for Novartis, and who is also the Uh, President of ABPI, the Association of the British Pharmaceutical Industry. Um, My name is Paul Bennett. I'm the Chief Executive of the Royal Pharmaceutical Society uh, and I am today joined by uh, two of my colleagues, uh, Sarah Carhill, who is the Chief Pharmaceutical Officers uh, Fellow who is working with us at the Royal Pharmaceutical Society and by Professor Gino Martini who is our Chief Scientist. Um, Haseed, thank you very much for taking the time today. I've got a few questions I'd like to run through which I'm sure our audience will be really interested in. Um, But first I wondered if you could provide uh, perhaps a very brief introduction um, to Novartis and and its history, Uh, maybe picking on some of the important milestones in medicines development uh, and something about the scale of the organisation that you lead. Sure,
1: Um, so firstly thank you for your time today. Novartis has a very rich history when we first entered the UK, which was in the 1930s, we had a presence in Manchester and Bradford as a chemical dye company um, supplying the textiles industries up in the northwest of England. Over the time, we have evolved to become a broad-based pharmaceutical company. so many of the products you'll be familiar with going back more earliest products were products like calcium sandals. Um, in the late 1920s, which really laid the foundations for modern calcium therapy we have today. We had products like Tegritol, um, carbamazepine ma- ma- um, in the 1960s. Um, and today we're in a number of areas from heart failure, respiratory, multiple sclerosis, ophthalmology, in oncology, both in hematology, solid tumors. And we're also bringing now cell and gene therapies to market. Um, so we have a really broad based business and also within the portfolio. We have our Sandos unit, which is a generics business, so we sell everything from medicines that we sell to the NHS for less than a pound for a monthly supply, right the way through to the most cutting edge kind of cell and gene therapies. Globally, we employ just over 100,000 people. We employ 1,500 people in the UK um, in a range of roles from manufacturing, um, research, development, regulatory, through to our commercial organization. we're a very research-intensive organisation. Um, we're the number one company in terms of sponsorship of commercial clinical trials in the UK.
0: Hasib, thank you. I, that's really given me, a, a, and I'm sure our listeners, a real sense of the the reach of of Novartis. I, I'd like to to move on uh, to talk a bit um, now around the the sort of more immediate challenge that we're all confronted with, which is the COVID-19 pandemic. I wondered if you could share with us uh, some of your thoughts about how your company's responding uh, to this challenge and and indeed how the ABPI uh, is also uh, responding to the pandemic.
1: Yes, yeah, so if I take both sides of that in terms, firstly on the Novata side and indeed on the ABPI side, it's a global pandemic which is requiring a, um, a global response for the global industry. Novartis specifically, we have um, three main priorities right now. Firstly, supporting those who are at the forefront of the healthcare value chain by ensuring that we have continued supply of medicines and that we're also starting to evaluate existing products um, as potential clinical trial candidates as potential treatments for COVID-19. That's the first priority. Secondly, and just as importantly, supporting our associates. So we in the UK have 1,500 people who work for Novartis and we're doing everything we can to make sure they are safe, um, but also they are contributing to keeping our NHS safe. So in many cases, that means um, working from home, but also supporting them in their desire to respond to efforts such as volunteering. And then our third priority is supporting our communities as Novartis. So looking more to the medium to long term, we're looking at how we can support the NHS with digital health solutions to address some of the medium to long-term challenges that will be created by this pandemic. But also in the near term, looking at how can we partner with the NHS today to support them through potential wellbeing, resilience programs, so there's online training we're developing as well to support the healthcare community. So that's on the Novartis side. On the ABPI side, some very similar kind of threads. So the the priorities are really delivering medicines and health technology to fight, COVID-19, so there's a big effort both with medicines and vaccine, potential vaccine candidates that we're looking to support um, and and research and bring to market in the UK. Secondly, prioritizing the supply of diagnostics, medicines and technologies for patients in the UK. And third is to more broadly just support NHS service delivery, so anything we can do to support delivery of NHS services we're looking at right now.
0: That's fascinating, and you've touched on uh... Something I was going to to ask, um, which was about how you're supporting um, staff and the teams who are having to work, presumably in, in quite different ways. I would imagine there are people who very much are having to come into work, uh, keep the laboratories running, keep production manufacturing running, and there'll be others within your organisation that uh, will be working remotely. I, I just wonder if you can give us a sort of sense as... As to what that split might look like and 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 how that's working practically day in and day out for you as managing director.
1: Sure, yeah. So we we have we have that split. So generically, I think probably the easiest way to articulate it is we have designated key workers. If we look at our manufacturing site, which is in Grimsby, in the north of the country, um, that continues to operate to a normal level of operations. So. Um, almost all of the workers in our Grim manufacturing site continue to come for work. To work, They are designated as key workers and you know, I feel a great sense of pride and thanks and gratitude to those associates. For most of the rest of our organization, actually we have the ability to work remotely and um, we've actually spent a lot of time in the last couple of years working on a more flexible working model, so you, you may not know this, but um, our UK headquarters, we moved from Primley in Surrey, we moved about 30 miles into London, um, into White City, just across the road from Imperial College. Um, as we went through that move and prepared for that move, recognizing that many of our associates would be commuting more than 30 miles per day, we introduced a flexible working policy um, and really um, improved people's access to some of the technologies that we have. We improve our IT capabilities. Um, And that's really helped us with where we are today. So working remotely isn't something new um, to many Novartis Associates. So we're helping them them work remotely now. So the majority of people who aren't working in manufacturing are working remotely. um, And they have been doing so since the 16th of March, in fact. Um, What we're doing right now is actually developing a wellbeing program for them um recognizing that we all face the same challenges um, as we are speaking today there may well be associates within our business who are participating in mindfulness webinars or in online aerobics even so you know people have really kind of stepped up and um we started to put the right kind of programs in place for associates
0: we're definitely all working in very different ways aren't we at, at this moment in time and i think you've just illustrated that uh, very clearly for us. I, I wonder also your reflections on the pharmaceutical industry in its broadest sense, working differently at this moment in time. I think we all recognise and understand how competitive the pharmaceutical industry environment is. Did Did you ever think that um, pharma companies would be working in partnership? Uh, to coordinate such a response as I understand they are uh, in this fight against the COVID-19 pandemic?
1: I'm not surprised by it at all. Um, You know, we have examples of this in the past with SARS um, industry collaborating very effectively. But I am immensely proud by the level of collaboration that is going on right now. It's on an unprecedented level and... um, I felt very passionate for a while, way before COVID-19 as an industry would have to be just as innovative in how we collaborate together with each other as the medicines themselves and we're starting to do that now. Um, and I, I, I'm really, really impressed that um, this really is a proof point that the industry can collaborate and provide a, a leading role within society.
0: Uh, and Final question uh, for me Hasib, is, is around uh, perhaps how you're your clinical staff may uh, respond to this. We, we've heard, and we've certainly experienced this within RPS, that uh, those who have um, clinical capability uh, seeking to go back to, to the front line, we're gonna hear from Sarah a little bit later on. I know Sarah's been going back to the front line uh, and working in in her hospital. Uh, have you had a, a call from any of your colleagues to? to do that and also very conscious as I asked that question that they're performing a very important role um, keeping medicine supply uh, optimized.
1: Yes so we have had a strong desire from the associates who work from Novartis um, to volunteer and not just clinical staff Um, so we have associates today who are both volunteering physically and doing non-physical volunteering so for all staff um, in the month of April, we've committed 12 days of paid leave um, where they can do volunteering for any cause within the UK that supports the COVID 19 effort, be it physical or non physical. So that's for all staff. If you want to support with the delivery of prescriptions, that's something that we will support people up to 12 days paid. For um, clinically appropriate staff, we are going beyond. Um, so for those, um, be they doctors, nurses, or indeed pharmacists, if they have clinically relevant skills um, and there's a need within their community, whether they fit, um, we are case by case, because as you say, you know, if a person is a QP and responsible for releases of batches of medicines, that's something we have to think through. But on a case by case basis, we're looking for each one and where we can, we are um, supporting them with their desire and the need of the system um, for
0: them to volunteer. Haseeb, thank you. Thank you for sharing all of those insights uh, with us. I'm now gonna hand over to uh, Professor Gino Martini, our chief scientist, Gino.
2: Thank you, Paul and Haseeb, hello again. um, And thank you for making the time to speak to us. Uh, Haseeb, one of the reasons we've set up these podcasts, I think, you know, I'm an ex-industrial pharmacist. And I think you mentioned or hinted at before about the reputation of the industry. I think it's very clear now, that this dreadful disease has no cure and uh, no treatments other than supportive care. And so obviously, this is an opportunity you know, I think the industry to show that it can find a cure and how important the industry is uh, in medicine's development. So thank you for, for, for spending the time with us. I know you're an incredibly busy, busy man. The, my, question to, my question to you is uh, really as President of API, clearly there's a big hunt for a vaccine um, and um, and it has been suggested it could take up to 18 months to find a vaccine for COVID-19. I mean, do you think this is the case? I mean, as as president, have you heard of any innovations that can fast-track this even quicker? Uh, is that something you can you can shed light on for us?
1: Yeah, so certainly vaccine timelines is a very emotive topic um, for all of us. And I certainly can't kind of purport myself to be an expert in vaccines development. Um, what I can say is the following, that clearly when you develop medicines and vaccines, um, there needs to be a rigorous focus on safety and effectiveness, so we need to ensure that we're working um, the right standards and with the regulators to make sure that no corners are cut. Um, as you know, having worked in industry, um, medicines are vaccines, they don't grow on trees, so we need robust clinical evidence, and that's what the industry is looking to do. I think the real call to arms in the industry is, whatever the base case may be, from one week to the next, so if one week someone's saying 12, for months, and the next week they're saying 18 months, the focus still remains to say, how can we reduce that time? So whatever that base case may be, there are people who are working tirelessly every day to reduce what those timelines may be. So I think you know, we're hopeful that um, whenever a vaccine does come to market and we can get full manufacturing capability, I feel confident that it will be in the shortest time possible.
2: Okay, thank you. Uh, and so we've talked about vaccines, but um, obviously Novartis, as you said, is one, is one of the leading pharmaceutical companies in, in the world. Uh, do you have, or are you aware of medicines in your portfolio or your pipeline that are being looked at to treat COVID-19? Uh, and if so, uh, what are they? and What stage in development are they at?
1: Yeah, so we are, um, as we speak, we have people within our drug discovery and development organisation looking through our existing medicines and various medicines libraries. Um, we have a couple of medicines right now. We have an anti-malarial product um, which um, we will be looking to put into clinical trials as we speak and we are putting into clinical trials across the world right now. We have another product which is currently using the hematology space which is a, um, a protein kinase inhibitor. This is a product that can potentially prevent the cytokine, cytokine storm that's created as the mm-hmm. product of COVID-19. And then we have some earlier pipeline products that are being considered As well, um, as I say, we're looking at various compounds from our drug libraries right now.
2: And he hinted before about, obviously, getting things right first time, you know, in terms of vaccine development. But clearly, um, there requires some kind of, I would imagine, some regulatory flexibility. And Mm -hmm. there must be ongoing dialogue with the various agencies like the MHRA, EMEA and FDA. What's been your conversations with those agencies? Have they been willing to help? Of, uh, forward regulatory flexibility. Uh, can you give us a, an idea of those kind of conversations?
1: I think we're, we are having right across the industry, we're having a lot of great examples of some very progressive discussions that we're having with regulators, particularly here in the UK with the MHRA. And you know, safety, I think I'll keep on that, safety remains a paramount case. And our number one focus is do no harm. Um, what The kind of flexibilities that we're seeing really is around speed. To action, um, we're seeing expedited scientific advice. Um, sometimes processes which have to be done sequentially are being done in parallel, and it's all kind of really focused around reducing the time it takes to make decisions. Um, so we're seeing great kind of, um, of flexibility in that approach.
2: Okay, thank you. That's that's very very interesting, and I think we've all got a part to play uh, in in tackling the strength of disease. Um, And then obviously there's a lot of interest right now. Uh, You mentioned antimonarial before uh, and chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine for treating COVID-19. Can you share any more insights into the interest in this from the industry um, uh, from your perspective?
1: Yes. So the the product you mentioned, um, hydroxychloroquine, um, one of the benefits of looking at existing medicines is you have medicines where the safety profile is already established albeit maybe in a different indication, which means that you can go to phase three studies um, quicker. So we are looking um, globally and also here in the UK at how we can do doing large scale studies, both for in-hospital use, um, but also for post-exposure prophylaxis. And it's too soon, I think, to say what the utility of this medicine will be until we've done those randomized clinical trials.
2: Okay. so I uh, will answer. ask you one more question before I hand over to my colleague, Sir, Sir uh, Cahill. see there's been concerns about drug supply chains, and I suppose the question for you is, uh, as Managing Director for, for the UK business, uh, how has Novartis been able to cope with the supply demands for its medicines? Uh, can you give us some insights into how you're controlling that and dealing with that?
1: Yeah, I think um, of Novartis, um, indeed the industry, um, we're in pretty good shape here. Um as a company and within the industry, as you will probably be aware, we have individuals whose entire jobs day-to-day is ensuring that we have continuity of supply of medicines for patients. Um, we've had a little bit of practice with um, Brexit, at, um, you know, there's a couple of times where we had you know, the potential disruptions of our supply chain. So we've created backup plans and backup plans, just the backup plans, if you like, um, and we have a very good collaboration with the Department of Health and Social Care. So we participate as a company um, and as an industry in weekly meetings with the DHSC. Um, there's about 12,000 different medicines in the UK, and we have a very good process as an industry, also the company for our individual lines as well, to look at spikes in demand, irregular supply patterns. But as things stand, we're in pretty good shape. We have been we continue to monitor them. for the last six weeks in this acute phase. Um, would continue as
2: an industry to be able to supply patients here in the UK. Thank you, Haseeb. Uh, I, I haven't asked you the most important question, of course. Are you red or blue? But on that point, I'll um, I'll hand over
3: to
2: to. <laughs> I do have <laughs> to... to say, I do have to say, red. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm a blue. I'll I'll hand over to to, to Sir Cahill. Sir, over to you.
3: Hi. Um. Novartis recently announced the donation of um, hydroxychloroquine to treat hospitalised COVID-19 patients within Switzerland. And the aim of the donation was to enable patients to access um, a potential treatment while also advancing clinical research in the fight against COVID. Um, Switzerland is the second country in the world, I think, after the USA and the first in Europe to receive a donation of this medication. Um, Is there any other European countries who are also going to get a donation or is that kind of in the pipeline, such as the UK?
1: Yeah, so I think what I can say is there are other countries in the pipeline within Europe and um, in the UK, we are in active discussions with the Novartis, but also with government to look at how we can do this. So we're in discussions right now.
3: Okay. And um, then my last question is, Novartis um, COVID-19 Response Fund is providing urgently needed support for health workers and communities in over 50 countries all around the world. So supporting public health in- initiatives and um, designing to help communities manage the challenge posed by the pandemic um, for example strengthening healthcare infrastructure and digital platforms for data collection um, and also dissemination of important public health information can you elaborate on more on this work and who you, who are you working with in these countries to ensure that resources are allocated appropriately and again are there any plans um, to donate to the uk and kind of to bring this work in the uk as well
1: uh, quite a broad question and yeah. <laughs> um, it, gi- it gives, a, a, a I guess, quite a broad response because um, as a company, so I'm going to buy my Novartis hot on right now, um, there's a great breadth and depth to what we're doing. So we just mentioned about clinical trials with some existing medicines and potential pipeline candidates. Um, we have approved already in the UK um, a number of donations to support charities um, and it was prior to the Chancellor's recent announcement around support for charities. but um, for charities in the UK who are going through some um, significant challenges. Um, I already mentioned earlier a um, big rationale or a big kind of principle rather I should say um, for Novartis in terms of where we will put our efforts and where we have capability that we really believe that we can add value. So some of the things we're looking to do in the UK are um, provide um, well-being, psychological safety, training, Um, to the NHS, that's what we're putting together right now. We've worked previously with the NHS in this area and with Harvard University and a professor um, from Harvard University put a package um, together in that area Um, and we're actively looking for um, primarily NGO, um, non-governmental organizations who um, are working on programs. um, It's something we're actively looking at in the UK and particularly interested in joining coalitions of the willing, so probably the best example we have globally of that is the Bill and Melinda Gates Consortium. So the consortium has been put together of a number of companies looking at potential treatments for COVID-19. It's co-chaired by our CEO, Vassanara Simmela, and Bill Gates himself. Um, and we and other companies are donating um, our drug libraries, um, our you know, previous projects um, that we've worked on. And we've got experts right across the spectrum who are basically trawling through much of this data to see kind of um, what hypotheses they can develop and if there's new candidates so they can look at. So they're the kind of activities we're involved in, um, you know, pretty much anything that, anything that can help get a treatment um, or a potential vaccine for COVID-19 or support healthcare delivery in the broader sense and the priorities that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, pretty much everything is in scope, and, and we're looking at it daily.
3: Thank you. That's um, really interesting.
0: Haseeb, thank you. I think that that uh, comes to the conclusion of of quite a broad range of questions that I think we've we've posed there, and and you've uh, you've been able to cover for us and for our listeners. um really do appreciate you taking the time uh, at what is a very challenging moment for for. A everybody, um, but absolutely do recognize that as managing director for Novartis and as country president for Novartis, as well as president of ABPI, um, your time will be scarce. So we really do appreciate you taking a little time out and being able to share your insights with us uh, for this podcast. Thank you very much, Asipa.